0: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you ready?
1: Yeah.
0: Are you sure? Yeah. I was, just, I, was, I was just checking. Just wanted to make sure. Glory to God. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to jump in here in just a second. I want to show you the slide of what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about how we got here as a church. How did we get here? So if they have that slide, Amen. <laughs> That's almost it, how we got here, how we got to be here, and what I want you to see, we're going to go to some scriptures in just a second, they're fixing it, go ahead and put it up whenever you get it, so it's a really good one, yay, how we got here, glory to God, now listen, that's you, that's you sitting there on that screen, that's not just Nicole and I, you are, you are in that picture, you're boomerang, you're a family, and God is lifting you higher, let me tell you something that has happened in this, uh, in this past week is I've really started to see, put it back, there you go. What I've really started to see this week is that uh, God's getting ready to take us. To another level, like you have only dreamt about, beyond all that you can ask or think. He's changing our thinking. He's blessing us. It's time. It's time. It's time. And and we're going to be more fruitful than we've ever been before. It's going to be awesome. God's got great, great, great stuff in store. Is there anybody here that receives that? Amen. 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 Glory to God. Now, uh, as we jump into that, I'm not quite ready to get into that quite yet. But I want to show you something because I had um, I had something that the Lord brought to me, so I want to share this with you. The offering, we'll do that at the end today. But uh, many of you may have seen when I did this message a while back, um, talking about this, this is a great example. And I don't know who did it first, but I think it was maybe uh, Francis Chan. So giving credit where credit is due. And I just want you to see that... Uh, I want you to see something because I finally found words uh, for something that I'd been thinking about for some time. If this rope is represented by time, this little blue piece, let's just say that that's your portion of years here on this earth. So that's your 120 years, is that blue. And the rest of this rope is eternity. And so when you, and you got to remember that even this rope, Even this rope doesn't even represent the fullness. But here's what we're so focused on. Here's what we're so focused on. Is this one little section. But then in front, after this little section, we've got all of this. We've got all of this. And what I've found throughout the years is, there have been moments where I could be accused of, as a pastor not caring for people. But that's not true. But here's what's happened. I just don't care about this portion of time as much as I care about this. Because these blessings go on into eternity and they never stop. And they never stop. And they never stop. And they never stop. And everything, if I can get people to focus on eternity instead of focusing on this, then I, what I've found is, and the Word says, if you'll seek me first in my kingdom, and you have to understand, His kingdom is now, but His kingdom is not limited. His kingdom is throughout eternity. And if I can get people focused on eternity, this will be blessed too. And so that's why the Bible says uh, this, this small tribulation that you're going through. You know, this is why it has that type of verbiage. is When it talks about this, this little thing that you're going through, this little pressure. In other words, the, the biggest you know, pressure that you've ever felt in your life. The Bible says it's a little thing. Because when you compare it to the glory of eternity, it just doesn't compare. Yeah. And so my focus as a pastor, because I care for you and I love you, my focus as a pastor is not to focus on this one little section and act like that's the most important. Because if I told you this right now is the most important time of your life, uh, I'd be lying to you. The most important is what you have beyond here. But what you do here affects all of that. What you do in this little section of time has rewards for eternity. Matter of fact, let me give you a scripture here that I was just looking at. In uh, Romans, or excuse me, watch this, uh, Revelation 22, or excuse me, I, there's some Romans 2:6, Revelation 22:12, 2 Corinthians is where we're going to go to. Second Corinthians 5:10. It says, "For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. According to what he's done in his body, whether good or bad. God will reward us based off of what we've done. Now we're not talking about necessarily in front of Christ. We're talking about how do you take what Christ gave you and apply it. Do you take the grace that God's given you? And do you apply it now in this time so that you can be rewarded and awarded throughout eternity based off of what you did? See, before Christ, you didn't have the ability to walk in love. But once you receive Christ, love can be manifested in you and through you. And so as we draw by faith on that love, all of a sudden we start taking different actions. And it, and God has rewards laid up in eternity. Amen? God has rewards laid up. Now, I'd like, uh, Buddy, if you would, just take this, leave this section right here, this front part. But then just... String string out the rest of that. Just string it out back and forth up there so I'm not walking around it the whole time. Amen. So you see, as a pastor, I'm really, uh, I care about you, but I really care about your eternity more than I care about your now. Yeah. Because I know that if we'll do the right things for eternity, your now will be blessed too. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be granted to you. Mark 10, if you'll give uh, for my sake and for the kingdom's sake, for the gospel's sake, then you will be blessed. It'll be given back to you now in this time and in the time to come. See, if we can get those actions working properly and we can get eternally minded, then all of a sudden everything changes. Amen? Amen. Let's uh, get the table and will you hand me my... Bible and iPad. Thank you. I want you to go to Acts chapter 10. Thank you, sir. Acts chapter 10, and I believe it's verse 34. Amen. Acts chapter 10 and verse 34. I'm going to read these out of the King James, and i got this handy-dandy little seat right here. Glory to God. And I want Nicole to come sit here and give her a mic. Because I want to tell you about how we got here. But as I tell you about how we got here, in case I forget anything... I want her to remind me. (laughs) And it's also good, you know, I could get up here and tell you stories and she could be sitting over there going, that didn't happen, you know. But what you'll be able to see on their faces, it all happened. It all was true. And I kind of want to go through, how did we get to this place in 2020? How did we get to Boomerang being a church? How did we get this building? How did we get these chairs? How did we get these cameras? How did we get... How did you get here? You know, what happened to get, to get people to a blessed place? How did we get over 1,900 commitments to Christ this year? What happened to make that happen? Let me tell you, the Lord had to do a work in me, in her. And here's what I want you to see. Acts chapter 10. Well, i tell you what, hold your place there. That's what real preachers do. They tell you to go one place and then they tell you to go to another place while you're holding your place there. Seems like all the best ones do that, so I figured I might as well do that too. You go to excel. Hebrews, huh?
1: You excel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm,
0: well, I'm doing exactly what this verse is going to say. Hebrews chapter 6. And verse 11 and 12. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, it says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. And what will that diligence do? So as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. In other words, if you'll apply diligence, you will hold on to hope, joy, confidence, and expectation all the way to the end, and you'll be in heaven with it. You'll be in heaven with us. In other words, this is something that's on the table, but you need to figure it out. But if you'll put on diligence, you're going to make it. And not only will you make it, but in the middle of it, you'll have joy. You'll have confidence. You'll have expectation. It'll be awesome. I'll say it again. You'll have joy. You'll have joy. You'll have confidence. You'll have expectation. In verse 12, it says, so that you will not be sluggish or lazy or you won't be sluggish. What does it say in the King James? What's the word for sluggish there? Slothful. You won't be sluggish or slothful. In other words, you can be sluggish. You can be slothful. And the truth is, in that rope, you, you, you might have some stuff here on this earth, but you won't have as much as you could in eternity. We don't want to be that, do we? It says, so that you won't be sluggish or slothful, but be imitators or follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises when you're looking for leaders on this earth you want them to be full of faith you want them to be full of patience so that they inherit what they're in faith over and you want them to be inheritors in other words if somebody's going through something they never inherit anything and they don't they don't show any any type of Uh, diligence they don't show any type of patience they show nobody how to actually stand and actually receive the things of God you don't want to follow those people but if you find somebody who's faithful they don't just talk it they live it you find somebody who's patient they don't just talk it they live it you find somebody who has the fruit of God they inherit the promises they have an inheritance. In other words, they see people healed. They don't just talk about healing is out there. They see people born again. They don't just talk about how we need to have you know, soul winners. They actually lead people to the Lord themselves and they, and they encourage and influence other people to be soul winners, to produce fruit. They have miracles. They see the power of God. Many people just this year have just been healed while we've been having services, while preaching's been going on. That's an inheritance. Many people have had debt canceled and, and uh, favor in their jobs. And most people's testimony is, uh, yeah, 2020 shook some things up. But I'm coming out of it better than I was before. Better than I was before. God's watched over me. He's taken care of me. I'm coming out of it smelling like a rose. That's inheritors. And if they're not inheriting some things, then you don't want to follow but if they are, you want to follow them. And so I tell you this stuff today because we're going to tell you some testimonies. We're going to tell you some things about the Lord and what he's done. And I want you to see that if you will do this, that God will lead you down that same path as well. There's something the Lord told me years ago right when we started the church. I'm going to ask them to put it up on the screen. Because I, was, I remember one place where he spoke it to me. He spoke it to me several times. One place I was going through the drive-through in Zaxby's. That's a very holy place, apparently. Amen. I'm driving through the drive-through. And God says, I'm looking for people who will do the right thing for long periods of time. You see, a lot of people can get all fired up one Sunday morning. And most of the time, that fire lasts till they get in their car. And their spouse does something wrong. And all of a sudden it's like. And that was the end of the fire. (laughs) And it's out. (laughs) Glory to God. But God said. See and I've watched people come through the church. And they'll be on fire. But they don't hold it. They'll they'll be diligent. For a week. But they don't hold it. And God said, I'm not looking for people that will be a flash in the pan. I'm not looking for people that will be up one day and down the next. I'm looking for consistent people who will do the right things for long periods of time. And I recognize what the Lord was saying. Because you imagine this. How many Christians did we talk about? Well, just evangelicals was like 600 million, correct, on the earth that we talked about. Evangelical Christians. Imagine if every evangelical Christian did exactly what God wanted them to do and have done it for the past five years. We'd be gone. We'd be in heaven. So if if all the Christians would just make up their minds, just make up their minds, I'm going to do everything God tells me to do, the world changes like that. And if they'll just keep doing it, Man, we will have supernatural heaven on earth just like that. Just like that. One decision away. The issue is we've not ever made that decision altogether at one time and done it for a long period of time. But see, I can't make you. I can't make a decision for you. I can only make a decision for me. But my life can influence other people to make that decision. And if I will live hot on fire for God, and then I will come into people's lives, and that fire just continues to sit next to other people, all of a sudden that fire, it starts drying out the wet wood. It it starts lighting you up. All of a sudden you feel that heat. All of a sudden now you catch on fire. Your spiritual DNA is changed, and everything's going up from there. And now you're a carrier. And then all of a sudden God tells you to come and, and you're on fire and all of a sudden that fire goes and, and and the Lord plants you in a place and now that fire I'm not even there but that fire he's changed his DNA's changed and it goes and it starts to starts to catch other people see if we would just do what we're supposed to do and stay in place do the right thing for long periods of time it's not okay to have this up again down again stuff that the devil told us was normal no No, the new normal is that Christians are going to do the right things for long periods of time. Amen? Amen. That's the new normal. Because this this year has been a year of filtering. You're talking about 2020 vision. I heard this this week. I loved it. Somebody said it in just a conversation that we were having. 2020 vision. It's not necessarily that we had 2020 vision going in. But it's what has happened in this year has clarified our vision as to what's actually going on. There's a filtering. This church has come through the filter, and we're actually moving in the power of God, and it's time to get busy. It's time to be on fire. It's time to walk in that fire and to catch people. You you, you can go home now. And uh, and, uh, so it's time to catch people with the fire of God and not just be me, but all of us. And I know that's your heart. That's why you're here. Because generally I'll tell you what happens. Most people don't last long unless they've got something in them that's saying the same thing. Because the fire of God, one thing it does is it purges. It burns away the chaff. The fire of God, it has a funny way about finding the loopholes in somebody's theology. Finding the religious thinking in there. The fire of God just burns that right up. That's what happened with Jesus. And you realize the only reason... You know, some people say, well, he lost by giving his life at the cross. No, he didn't, of course. But the only reason that he had to die was for you and me. If, it, if he didn't have to do that, do you know what would have happened to Jesus? He would have been made king. He would have been taken up in his glory. He would have called the 12 legions of angels, and he'd have ruled the world right then. But God had a different plan His plan was to include you and me. What a God! He's so worthy. But if his plan was to include us, then we need to walk like him. Our God is a consuming fire. And we need to follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And we need Christians to do the right things for long periods of time. Long periods of time. But I want you to see this. Because if you'll make a decision today for the rest of your days that I'm going to go after God, I want you to see what God thinks. Acts chapter 10, this is in the King James 10, 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. In other words, if it'll work for me, if it'll work for Nicole, it'll work for Yeah, there you go. See, y'all are receiving that blessing now. You're receiving that work. If it'll work for us, it'll work for? It'll work for you. He's not a respecter of persons. Verse 35, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. If you will reverence God and you will do the right things, you'll be accepted by God. How does that feel? I'm accepted by God. All I got to do is make up my mind to go after him. Go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 and verse 10. Again in the King James. Romans two ten and 11. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Verse 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. This week, the media team put out a question and said, what's your favorite Brian, you know, Pastor Brian quote? And a buddy put up one of them that he liked. And uh, he said, God's not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of faith. He is a respecter of faith. And you'll notice that like blind Bartimaeus, Jesus was walking by, but when faith came out, When Bartimaeus brought faith out Jesus was like In other words He was having the same respect for everybody Until he heard faith The The lady with the issue of blood He's walking along The press is there And all of a sudden he stops and says Who touched me? Why? Because faith was respected Faith puts a draw on God And God is a respecter of faith The Syrophoenician woman He says look I didn't come for you Called her a dog She said, even the dogs eat the crumbs. This is nothing to you. This is just a crumb to heal my daughter. Oh, lady, your faith. Your faith. He's a respecter of faith. So the issue is who's actually drawing on God in faith and who's just accepting uh, the devil's normal? Who's accepting the devil's normal? Who's accepting uh, the heaviness from the devil? And who's saying, I'm not accepting that. I'ma put on the joy of the Lord. I'ma put on that oil of joy, that garment of praise, no matter what I feel. He respects faith. He's the eyes of the Lord. Second Chronicles 16, 9, I believe. Eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for someone whose heart is pure, mature. The uh, King James says "perfect," means a mature heart towards Him, so that He might show Himself strong on their behalf. He's looking for people to do that. Second Corinthians chapter nine, I believe it's verse ten. It says that you can increase the harvest of your righteousness. See, if you're born again and you're in faith, you are made righteous, you're made the righteousness of God in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 21, you're made the righteousness of God in Christ, but that doesn't mean just because you're righteous you have the same harvest you have to follow people who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God, do what they did, you see people achieving big things find out what they're doing that matches up with that word follow them And so today, this week, the Lord really led me just to take you down a path and show you that God is not a respecter of persons. Because our life truly is a testimony, not to us, but to God. Because without Him, we'd have messed it all up. And we tried hard. (laughs) See? Am I telling the truth? (laughs) And we tried hard to mess it up, not knowing that we were doing it. We tried hard to mess it up. But God's mercy. And God will be merciful with you. And he has been. And he is being. And he will continue to give you mercy. And help you. All you got to do is take your heart and turn towards him. And watch what he'll do. I was born. (laughs) My mom and today's mom-in-law day. Love you. Look, come here in all these lights. Look, there's a camera.
1: Hi. <laughs> and he knows I don't like this. What? No, oh,
0: I didn't. I didn't know that, yeah. did I? Maybe a little bit.
1: Maybe a little bit.
0: (laughs) Love you. This is your present for Mom-in-law's day.
1: Oh, gee, thank you. I'll let
0: you go back if you promise me big Christmas. (laughs) We still have a few months. I know. Yeah. You'll have to remember it that whole time. No, you have to remember it. (laughs) (laughs) Love you. Love you, too. She's she's the sweetest. Uh, Let me tell you something. She's part of the reason why I married Nicole. Because I saw her and I saw her heart. And I knew that Nicole had been raised in that heart. And she's a blessing. Yeah. So, amen. Yeah. Love you. For real. <laughs> 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 For real. In front of everybody in the world. I love you. Miss Nancy. She's an easy mama-in-law. Amen. She's a blessing. Um... <laughs> When we were dating, I got scared that we were about to get married. <laughs> and so we broke up for like, we didn't break up, I broke up for like two weeks. She cried. <laughs> she cried. <laughs> Is that right? It was a week. It was a week, yeah.
1: You told me to get the facts straight. <laughs> <laughs>
0: She was like, my mama cried when, when you broke up with me. And then we, we, we went about a week, and I realized I can't do this without her. I, want, I wanted to have her in my life, and we were meant to be together, and the Lord told us that very clearly later on. But anyway, um, I, wanted to, I wanted you to see how we got here today, and I wanted you to hear about it, because what God did for us, he'll do for you. Your story may be a little bit different. The details may be a little bit different. But you have the same promises and the same God. And he's not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of faith. So let our stories and our testimony inspire you to that faith. Inspire you to that. He'll meet you at your faith. When you get serious with God and you turn to him, God will get serious with you. Yeah. Yeah. And so literally, you know, uh, my, dad, uh, my dad was an absolute heathen. And uh, I've told you, I've told different people at different times, when he got born again, I was two years old, I believe, right around there, and um, maybe one, right right in that period of time, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, when he got born again, legitimately, you know, he had a contract out on somebody because they had uh, uh, done him wrong in business, and uh, that's who... And he, it, he worked it out where it didn't come to pass, in case you're wondering. Uh, but uh, it wasn't because they were going to stop it. It was because it just didn't happen. And uh, that was the Lord prote- probably protecting his heart and his conscience. But uh, he got born again. He was a heathen. And as he uh, grew up in the Lord, here I am at two years old. As he's growing up in the Lord, I'm growing up in life. And so I become the inheritor of some of these things. And uh, at the age of two, we moved uh, to Greensboro, and we moved into a um, we moved into an apartment in Greensboro, uh, where I learned to ride a bike and all that kind of stuff. And um, and then um, I remember that he started going around and he was preaching at different places. Immediately, there was a call of God on his life, and um, he was preaching at places. He had a uh, A radio broadcast uh, that he he went and uh, truthfully he really had the favor of the Lord on him and was gifted and anointed and uh, people liked him and I understand why he was the Lord had his hand on him and um, and still does still does have his hand on because the gifts and calling of God are without repentance and the you know God's so merciful God's so merciful And so then we went uh, into a period of time, and when I was uh, seven years old, I think I had multiple moments of revelation where I knew I needed Jesus, but I didn't have like this horrible past and grow up in an ungodly house or anything like that. Um, But when I was seven, I was sitting in uh, Calvary Baptist Church in McLeansville, North Carolina, and I remember the preacher, the pastor there, he just recently passed away. Uh, His name was Rick Kidd and um i was seven years old and i was sitting about where uh, mr eddie is sitting approximately and i don't remember what he was preaching i just knew that they, at the end of it they were going to give an altar call and uh, when they gave that altar call i had to go up and accept jesus as my lord and savior and so i as soon as he gave the altar call like i'm out of my seat you know and i'm walking down the aisle and uh, I gave my heart to uh, the Lord, and so then I got baptized at that church, the day I got baptized, uh, the heater had broke on the baptismal pool, and it was snowing outside, and it was freezing in there, because a lot of times back behind there is not like all heated like it is out here, and uh, there was, my mom says, I don't remember, it, but she says there was literally ice on the steps. Uh, when where we got baptized where it was like thin water it had turned to ice and everything so i really love jesus and um so and uh but that was at seven now fast forward to about nine and i remember having a call on my life now i wouldn't i couldn't have said that to you then i don't know this is as an adult looking back i started to recognize oh that was the lord you know that was God saying this, but during that period of time, I can remember I would watch TV and I would watch preachers on TV, even at you know seven, eight, nine, and I would watch, and they would be doing ministry around the world. And I, w- the Lord brought this up to me just this week. You know, you used to have those uh, glass piggy banks, and the kids. I would say, all the super kids, this is uh, something to really pay attention to here is I can remember having my savings in that piggy bank, and I would go and get something to fish out quarters so that I could send an offering off uh, all the time. So I was sewing even as a young kid, like God, and, I, and you have to understand, this was not emotional. God would move on my heart. It was not just like an emotional, you know, in the arms of an angel. <laughs> it wasn't that, it wasn't sad puppy dog faces. It was the Lord moving on my heart. I didn't need Sarah McLaughlin to sing a song to me and, and you know, show flies and stuff on that on people's faces. The Lord was moving on my heart. And that, people do that because it works. You know, people respond to it. You're not supposed to be moved by that. You're supposed to be moved by obedience to God. <laughs> We're supposed to be stronger than that. Anyway, I would go and I'd get something to work a quarter. And I'd, I'd work out as, as many dollars as I could, dollars if I had a dollar bill or something. And I'd work out as much as I could and tell my mom and dad, send this to that ministry. Yeah, send this to that ministry. So I was sewing at that age. He brought it back to me this week. I was like, oh my goodness. And you have to see that. You know, who, who does that? It's not, it wasn't me. Right. Who put that on my heart? That was God. And it's like what Jade was saying earlier today. That was the Lord putting that on a young child's heart that didn't know any better. What does he have me doing? I'm sowing. Mm -hmm. Into what? Into a blessed life. Did I understand sowing and reaping at that time? No. But God was doing that. You know, and and like what Jade was saying earlier, she was like, I know that they're going to give credit to God. You know, you have to understand if we did anything right whatsoever, it's God. You know, know, well, you had to choose to honor yourself and to humble yourself. And you had to choose to be hungry and keep it up and choose to do the right things for a long period of time. Who taught us how to do that? Who empowered us to do that? No matter how you cut it, it all goes back to God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. That's a good gift. It came from Him. Take all of the good gifts away. Now you got the real brine without Jesus. And you take all the good gifts away. I'm not fishing in the piggy bank. That was the Lord. That's the Lord. That's His love for us. Did you realize that was His love for you? He had a guy who later on would be your pastor... Sowing into his future so that he could then sow into other people. He saw you. That wasn't just me doing that. It was you. He saw you in a pastor. In a congregation. Let me get this guy to a place where he's walking in a hunger and an anointing. So that he can, he can bring my blessing. Let him be a true gift to the body. That was the Lord. Having mercy on all of us. On all of us. Glory to God. So I can remember about nine years old. I can remember uh, the Lord dropping it on my heart to do ministry, and uh, I remember feeling that. Now looking back and as an adult, I know this was the Lord writing that on my heart. You know, because it wasn't here. It wasn't in my head. It was in my heart. Like I'm supposed to minister. And all my life, I had people who was like, you have a pastor's heart. All my life, they, and and I would say that they were right, because I just had a care and a concern uh, for people, and they were right, but they, you know, a lot of times people say things that they shouldn't say, this one happened to be correct, you have a pastor's heart. And I remember about age 11, I remember it wasn't just I was supposed to minister, I felt the call to preach, and to not just preach, but pastor. I felt a call to pastor, like, I'm going to be a pastor. Now, looking back on it, I know it was the Holy Ghost writing that. I didn't know that then. I didn't know the terminology. I didn't know how he worked, but I knew that was him. And my dad, of course, he just continued to, to grow up in the Lord, and, and then he was, you know, that word. Uh, when he got born again, the, the preacher challenged him to read the book of John. And he said, so I read the book of John, the gospel of John. He said, and it's like those words in the gospel of John came alive to me. It was alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. He said something was different about this book, and it came alive to him. That's how he got born again. Yeah. Well, he goes on, and he's in, you know, he's in a denominational church, and then He needed healing in his body. He sees the Holy Ghost in there. He sees the power of God. And they're like, well, that's not for today. And he was like, hold (laughs) up. He's like, this book is what got me saved. Like, you know, what parts, what parts do you want to take out? My mom has a testimony. One time she was sitting across from a pastor and he said, well, Jan, this is not for today. She said, I tell you what, preacher, I, you know, I, I don't have the doctrines that you have, and I don't know, but if you would, since you know all of this, you know, will you take my Bible and will you just mark through the scriptures that don't belong to us? And of course, he didn't do it. I don't think she went to church there for very much longer. But my dad needed healing. One time he had blown out a disc in his back and he was at work and he couldn't, I remember this as a kid, like he couldn't even hardly walk. He had gone swimming and jumped off a diving board or something. When he came down on the diving board, like it just blew out that disc and he was walking and he just saw this word and he said, Lord, I see you're a healer and I receive your healing. He said, I put my hands on my back and a warmth came over his back and he was instantaneously healed and very quickly they kicked him out from that denomination because you can't have the power of god showing you up (laughs) and all of a sudden he was a pentecostal (laughs) all of a sudden he believed in god all of a sudden he believed in the power of god but you know that's what people want they don't want a bunch of talk they want demonstration they want god to be real i need god to be real in my life today He needed healing that day. He was in major pain. And he was a child of God. Through Jesus, didn't he need some power and love made manifest? And that's what happened. So I grew up with that. Well, about that time, he starts uh, reading uh, Brother Hagin and Norval Hayes and John Osteen. And he started reading all these guys, moving in the power of God. And uh, so as he's growing in all this stuff, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it. All of a sudden, he... He goes out, and uh, he gets licensed to pastor, and he takes a church over in Greensboro. And uh, we lived in the parsonage uh, behind the church. Parsonage, if you don't know, is just basically a house that belongs to the church. And most of the time, uh, the pastor or preacher will live in that. It used to be very common. It's not quite as common today. But we lived in the parsonage behind the church. And um, I can... uh, I remember one day there was a uh, uh, evangelist that came in and the evangelist was talking about the power of God and healing and in the church he set somebody down about in the seat where Serena is about the second seat over and uh, he he, somebody's leg was shorter they were having back pain and their leg was about a half inch short and he said now God's going to grow out that leg. And I remember, I think I was standing right here. I might have been standing up on the pew, you know, like trying to look over everybody. But I was watching, you know. I was watching. And I watched that foot go and, and grow right out in front of my 12-year-old eyes, you know, 11 or 12-year-old eyes. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. But I, I really didn't think it was like a huge thing because I believed in the power of God, just childlike faith. If God will do it, he'll do it. That's who he is, Right? Childlike faith. Well, you know, the service was over and the evangelist, you know, everybody was talking everything. I'm like, I'm like, hey, kids, all right, y'all come on, you come on, you come on, you come on. I grabbed all the kids. It was about five or six kids. We went to a back room of the church and I set them all down on the bench. I said, give me your feet. <laughs> give me your feet. And uh, I can show you the room where it happened at. And because and, I'm thinking... If, if he prayed and God did it for him, I'll pray, he'll do the same thing. Yeah. Well, duh. <laughs> so I had the kids, sure enough, there's a kid and his foot was about three-eighths of an inch shorter. And we prayed and his foot, the kid's foot went and grew right out right there in the back of the church. After service, you know, we didn't even have to have the angels singing or anything. We just prayed. And God grew his foot out, and I'm like eleven or twelve. You know, I really didn't think a thing. Why? Because if he'd do it for that guy, he'd do it for me because God loves people. That's who he is. It's who he is. I didn't think that much of it. Until I got older and I was like, oh dang, that was pretty good. <laughs> Praise God. Who did that? Who was putting the seeds of his power in a boy that would later pastor? And see those seeds manifest in their life <clears throat> take the fire of God around who was doing that? that was the Lord who was he seeing? just me? no he was seeing you he was seeing everybody that Boomerang will touch he was seeing the people that are watching lunch plus throughout the week he was seeing all those people let's get the fire of God not just in a person but in some people let's get some faith in some people little little, that I know about five miles away from there in a little place called Pleasant Garden, there was this little redhead girl growing up, little Miss Nikki, that's what her dad calls her, still to this day, don't y'all call her that, because then it reminds me of him and then I've got to repent. So, no. <laughs> he, he challenged me. I love Miss Nancy. And I love him too, but I had to pray. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> He's a blessing. He's a blessing. He's got born again, given his heart to the yeah. Lord. Nicole oh, led him. God. And um, it was awesome. Anyway, the Lord was preparing her and i for each other and um but not necessarily not really in a family that grew up in church whereas i grew up in church all the time she didn't and uh and the lord had a plan it was interesting you'll see that in a minute and so but the lord had dropped ministry and pastoring into my heart and i was seeing the power of god and one more story about that church before we move on Then some of you've heard this is I would, the, the road was out in front of the church, and then there was the church, and then right behind it was the parsonage where we lived, and I would come in front of the church to catch the bus. The bus would stop on that highway, Alamance Church Road, and um, anyway, we would, there was a tree out there, you remember you asked me the other day about uh, what were those, are those apples or whatever, it was walnuts, and uh, I said they really smell uh, because I have a very intimate story about walnuts, and um, so we have a walnut tree at the end of our driveway. Anyway, if you ever have the green walnuts, man, they will—they smell, they have a very unique smell to them, but they're perfect for throwing. <laughs> they are so good for throwing, and so, you know, you're waiting on the bus, and you're, you know, in seventh grade, you get bored, and uh, so, and that's, walnuts everywhere and it's like well what are we going to do with our time let's start tossing walnuts so we were tossing walnuts on the other side of the road so the road was down here the church set up on a hill the road was kind of in the little bottom and then there was another hill on the other side and so we would throw walnuts across the road and uh, we you know it was not dangerous because we were throwing them really high but of course we did it so much and then you gotta challenge yourself some more so now let's throw them while cars are there because that adds an element, you know, of, of ooh. And uh, so we were like, wait till the car comes, and then we'll throw the walnut and everything. But, you know, if you do something for a long period of time, you start getting tired, and, you know, what used to be 30 feet high is now 25 and 20 and 15 feet high, and our arm was tired. And so, like, the one of the last ones of the day, I go back to throw it, and there was a car coming, this red, like Camaro, or, and um, it was a beautiful car. And, uh, and the, the, I didn't hit the car. I didn't hit it. But I did hit the wire uh, that was going, to, you know, the power line. And so I threw it, and it hit the power line. And then when it hit the power line, praise God, it just dropped straight down into the ditch. Right? But the issue was, the guy who had that car was a young man. And uh, probably 18 or 19, you know, full of something. And um, full of something. I would, in a few minutes, feel like he was full of the devil. But um, anyway, so what he saw, he's driving along. He sees a kid rear back, and then he can't see where the walnut went. All he sees is it bounces right next to his car as he's passing there. He thinks, I'm trying to hit his car. So he pulls into the church parking lot, runs up there, and it's me and my buddy John Gates. And uh, he runs up there and he starts pushing us around, cussing us up one one side and down the other. And he's 18, and we're in seventh grade. And he, you know, he he's huge. You know, he looks huge too. So he wasn't wasn't real big guy, but he was a lot taller than us and obviously more powerful than we were. And he's pushing around and he's telling us how he's going to kick our our tails and everything else and and we believed him uh, because he was mad, and uh, and this never happened before, and it never happened after this. At that exact moment, my dad walks around the corner. He never was out there. You know, my dad. The dude who had to hit on somebody. My dad, the Marine. My dad who was raised on a farm. My dad who I knew could handle business. And he walked right up to that guy and he says, what do you think you're doing? And the kid starts trying to explain himself. And my dad had a few words with him. I don't think he cussed, but can can you not cuss and tell somebody I'm going to whip you? <laughs> and and they know it. I don't know how that happened, but he got the point across. Like, you, you leave that... And uh, man, if ever I was happy to see my dad, it was in that moment. Because John and I, we were like crying and like, "Ah," you know, and and, uh, man, my dad saved our rear ends. I was so happy that I had a father that would protect me, that would hear from the Holy Ghost to be there right when I need it. And all he was doing was playing out our loving heavenly father that'll protect you he's always there he says i'll never leave you nor forsake you i'll be there with you that was a testimony to me of what the father would do too and i've found that when times get tough the father's been there just like my dad was that day and he's carrying with him something that the devil don't want to mess with and when i put faith in him as that kind of father he'll be that kind of protection for me of course we had to pick up every walnut over the next month and uh that was our punishment along with being grounded and everything else but i didn't get my tail whooped and uh that was good but uh moving on um my mom and dad got divorced they separated and divorced and they were my heroes and i mean they were my heroes And I never, I even, my brother and sister came to me and said, do you think that your parents, uh, do you think that our mom and dad are going to get divorced? And I was like, no way. There's no way they will will do that. Well, why? Because I just believed in them. I just believed in them with childlike faith. they were my hero. There's no way they would give in to the pressure of that. But they did. And they came to us a few months later, and they waited till after Christmas. And in 1987, they set us all down like three days after Christmas, and they said, hey, we're separating. And within a few months, uh, they were divorced. And literally, I watched in the church as um, people that had loved on us one week before, we walked into a store one week later, and I saw people see us, see us, and turn their back and act like they didn't see us. And I saw the hypocrisy of the church. And, and used to, I held it against those people. I don't even remember who it was now. I just remember it was somebody at the church. But used to, I, I really was mad at those people. But I realized, you know, do you realize what kind of situation they're in? You know, it's just like kids are in. Divorce is an evil, evil thing. And it's why the Lord really does and ever want it to happen. And, um, you know, fight for a covenant. Fight for a marriage. No. Fight for it. And, um, you know, it's like a kid having to choose which one's right. Having, having to choose. You know, and, and here's the other thing. If you've already had a divorce, get, get forgiveness over it. Yeah. Confess it. Lord, I'm sorry I didn't fight for it. Fight for it. It's worth it. It's worth it. And you might not be able to stop what the other person does. But let it be that you can stand in front of the Father and say, Lord, I fought for it. I fought for it. You know, and don't let the devil beat you up and condemn you. Don't carry that. God's not not wanting you to carry that. He's wanting you to be in freedom. He's wanting you to move in the fullness of liberty. You know, but think about that family that had seen us. You know, who's right? you know my mom was saying dad did this and dad was saying my mom did this and they're probably both right on a lot of different elements but who are they they're forced to choose something that kids and the people in the church should have never done is be forced to choose that and here I had this fire of God that was burning in me and honestly the uh, the effects of mom and dad doused those flames and you know, here's what I here's what I know, and because I've I've taken it up with the Lord, and I said, Lord, I don't um, like, I'm not holding it against them, because I was 14, 13, 14, 13, 14, and I knew that if I would have asked them to take me to church, they'd have done it. They weren't going all the time there, and they weren't really committed to it. But I knew if I'd if I'd have said. I want to go to church, they would have taken me, I know know that, and so at 14, I knew better, I should have asked them to do it, I should have kept that fire going, their their decisions did affect me, and there's just the truth in that, but the Lord came through, but I spent some time, you know, I went from 14, and I was always the kid whose other, my friend's parents always liked, because I was nice, and courteous, and had manners, and uh, truthfully, I got along better with my friends' parents than I did with a friend. A lot of times I would sit down and have a conversation with them, and they always liked me. And I lost some of that, and I went, I went through a stage where you know I was really, I won't get too graphic because the super kids are in here, but um, I had some issues. And um, I went to, um, matter of fact, if you want to, Let's go ahead and have the... That was the part I wanted the kids to hear. So kids, super kids, before you leave today, I want you to hear this. You go after God, and God will meet you. And even if bad things have happened up to this point, you say, Lord, I put my trust and my faith in you. And you see how a kid who had some stuff messed up, God's still using today, and he'll use you too. Amen? He's a good God. And he loves you, and he's got good plans for you. You just make sure you do what God says and not what the devil says. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Because I kind of want to get a little bit more real with you. I've changed their plans like twice now. So I went on and, and go through high school in 11th grade, um, found alcohol, and um, there was <clears throat> times where I just, I, I just shouldn't be alive. I just shouldn't be alive. I can remember one night we went out after work and I'm driving home and I can barely, I don't remember the drive. But the one part about it I do remember is I had my little tin can of a car and something had dropped in the floorboard and I reached to get it and I, (laughs) ba-boom, you know, I have no idea what I just ran over. But it was the curb and in front of me was a mailbox all brick mailbox that would have just wiped me out and I jerked like this missed the mailbox by this much and uh I was like thank you Jesus in my drunkenness and uh he helped me but I was stupid and uh you know and this I'm just determining on how much to share. But, um, and then, you know, the, one of the dumbest things that I ever did in my life was I was like, well, everybody's addicted to cigarettes. I think I could do it and not be addicted. Mm-hmm. So I, I, when I'd get drunk, I'd start smoking cigarettes, and then I got addicted, and then I couldn't put them down. And, um, you know, God eventually helped me out miraculously, but it all started in pride and, you know, just eat up my health and everything else, and I dealt with it for years, and, you know, I'm born again, but I'm, you know, walk, stepping further and further away from God, stepping further and further away from God. I went into the Marines, and what I didn't realize in the Marines was that uh, I went into the Marines as a business decision. And in that, in that business decision, what I really didn't realize was that was pastoring 101. Now, you may think that's funny, but you know, they use fear as a motivator, and God uses love. So but, and that's a big thing, but once you switch it, there's actually a lot of parallels to it. And I've been talking about doing a series on what the Marines taught me, and I'm, the Lord showed me how to do that. I'm going to do that series not on Sunday morning, but I'm going to do it on Lunch Plus. Because I can cover more things and share the parallels of the word and what the military taught me. And, um, but it was truly just pastoring one-on-one. It was preparation. Because, see, when God, it goes back to being young. And when God says something, he means it. And, um, you know, when I heard a command, it was very simple to me. Yes, sir. You know, it's very, like, okay. And that's it. Like, well, how are you going to do that? have no idea. But it's going to happen because I just got told what to do. But see, in God, there's all in, in the Marines, maybe you can take that heel, maybe not. But with God, if he tells you to go to the other side, you can go to the other side and provision is there. And so it just made it really simple for me. I just didn't see, you know, I know if God says something, everything I need is in that word. Why? Because the word works. If he says step out of the boat and come, the word will uphold me it'll uphold me and see it's just that simple and so and uh but then you know of course the marines didn't help my morals very much (laughs) um those still struggled uh but i uh they did teach me about electrical and uh Then I went into, I came out of the Marines and I was in a reserve unit. I'd done it as a business decision. So my my goal was going to the Marines, get some of the discipline of mind, and then uh, be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. That was my goal. And in the middle of that, I come out of the full-time. You go into full-time, or you go into, everybody goes to the same boot camp, uh, either Paris Island or uh, California. And uh, so literally on Friday was 28 years ago, I graduated from Paris Island, and uh, put that picture out. If you saw it, I had dark hair, you just yeah <laughs> and I was skinny. <laughs> and um, so it was quite a blessing. What's funny about Paris Island was some years later, after we started the church, a young man went into the Marines, and I went down to see him graduate. And uh, that's really a pretty place. I just never saw it (laughs) it's really pretty i was sitting there and like it's in uh in paris island it's right near um hilton head and everything else and the trees are beautiful like old trees and moss hanging in the trees and everything and i was down there i was like this is beautiful i was like i don't remember the trees having the moss in them at all and the lord said that's because you never looked up I never looked up because you get in trouble if you look anywhere but straight. You know, you can't look down, can't look up, you look straight, you know. And uh, I was like, that's true. (laughs) That's true. But uh, I came, you know, graduated out of there. Now, this is interesting because uh, you go to boot camp, then you go to combat training, and then you go to your job training, and then you either go to the reserves or you go to the active fleet. And uh, I was going to the reserves. And um, so, but I, I come out of boot camp and, um, I'm you know, at boot camp, when I graduated, one of my best friends, one of my roommates, uh, came down to see me and I didn't know he was coming. He was coming to come and see me graduate. And uh, so they teach you to take your emotions and suppress them, bury them very deeply. And I didn't even realize that that had happened. I was sitting there, and I had no idea that that had even happened like that. But I'm I'm marching up, and uh, we're marching, and I have the God on, the flag. And uh, we're marching and, and um, coming up, and I see my roommate there. I knew my family was going to be there, but I see him there. And inside, I'm about to just explode. Like, I'm like... Keep it together. I'm not shedding a tear because I don't want to get PT'd when we get back. I am not crying. And I'm like about to just explode on the inside like this. And um, he tells me later, because I walked up and, and he said, he said, hey, man, how you doing? After we dismissed out of the platoon. And uh, he said, hey, man, how you doing? And I, and, I, and I was like, I'm good, good to see you and everything like that. But that's not actually what happened. That's the way it felt to me. He said, you actually were so cold to me. I thought right then, he he said, I said hello, you said hello back, and you were so different and so cold with zero emotions. I literally thought, I'm just gonna go get in my car and go home. He does not want me here, he's mad at me. On the inside, I was about to cry. It, It was everything I had within me to not bust out an emotion. And that's gonna be important in a second because they had taught me to put that emotion down and not be moved by emotion, not be moved by it, and uh, which is good. Again, things that are parallel, you don't be moved by emotion. That doesn't mean you don't have them. See, they taught us not to be moved by them and don't let anybody know you have them either. That's not necessarily the case. I have them, you know, but I had to learn how to release the right ones at the right time. That's a parallel to the word. You have passions, you have compassion, you have emotion, you have joy, you have happiness, you have sadness. There's mourning, but you have to learn how to move on the ones that are godly and not move on the ones that aren't godly. So now, um, what's important about that is once I get out of of that and I move back to the reserves, uh, then I go to work for my dad who had a chemical company. And my job becomes that I'm a salesman selling chemicals for an equipment called a boiler or a cooling tower. So a boiler or a cooling tower, most of them are going to be anywhere from $50,000 piece of equipment to a million dollar piece of equipment, depending on the size of it. And so here I am, and if you don't know, know, I always had a young face. So at 25, I'm a sergeant in the Marine Corps, I'm running a company, And I walk into the First Union in Greensboro, and I step up to the desk, and I say, hey, I'd like to make a deposit. And the the lady behind the counter goes, a young man, you you have to be at least 16 to have an account here. I said, ma'am, how old do you think I am? She said maybe 15. I was like, I'm 25. (laughs) I'm running a company and I'm a sergeant in the Marine Corps and I'm 25. She was like, what? No. So I, so that's important because I looked young, obviously. I looked like a baby faced kid. I never could grow a beard, you know, and I still can't to this day. And, uh, but I, I, so I looked young. Now think about this. I looked young and I've learned how to bury emotion. So I'm no emotion. So I'm, And my job is to gain the trust of the maintenance guy, the engineer, the CEO, the secretary, and everybody else that I'm in that company, in that manufacturing plant. I've got to gain all their trust and have them like me. And I look like a baby and I got no emotion. And I don't know how to express myself anymore. Well, and I don't know if you know this, but the maintenance guy has a different personality than the CEO does. (laughs) They look at things differently. They talk differently. And the engineer talks totally differently, doesn't he? (laughs) Talks totally differently. They think different. And so the Lord... And, and so I pretty much stunk at my job. And that's funny, because <laughs> I was horrible at it. And, I mean, I stunk at it. Why? Because I was a baby face, and I couldn't get anybody to trust me. And I, and I didn't know I had to completely untrain uh, my bearing of emotions quickly, because I was hungry. <laughs> and so I had to learn how to communicate and learn how to relate To all these different people groups. Pastoring 101. Where I learned how to talk to all the different people. To the single mom. To the young couple. To the business owner. To the married with kids. To the people that had a Christian upbringing. The people that didn't have a Christian. And you start to learn how to relate to each person and realize... This is what's important to them. It was pastoring. What was God doing? Preparing us for you. But what the Marines taught me was electrical. And so then uh, I was working and managing a pizza hut. For a while, I wasn't working for my dad. I was managing a pizza hut. I started out as a driver and made actually pretty good money during that time what I thought was good money, it probably stinks now, but um, anyway, I thought it was pretty good, and I was managing a Pizza Hut, I moved from being a driver to a manager, which I made more money when I was driving, and um, because I was an assistant manager, And uh, but then they are like, hey, you know some stuff about electricity, right, yeah? Well, we're selling all of these pizza huts in Greensboro to another company, but the terms of the sale is all of the electrical has to be up to code before we make the sale. Will you go to each store, review them, see what needs to be fixed, what you can fix, fix, and what you can't fix, we'll hire out to a professional electrician, sure. So I'm over at the store at Holden Road, and uh, I go into the store, the pizza hut on Holden Road, and I'm standing up on the ladder, Uh, looking at uh, the light fixture, seeing what needs to happen, and all of a sudden, this phone girl walks in. (laughs) And I think she saw me first, I don't know. But as soon as I saw her, I thought, ooh, I like her. (laughs) I like her a lot. And I think she would tell you the same thing about me. And uh, I've heard her say it. I'm going to refrain her from saying what she normally says. <laughs> and uh, her friend really liked me. And um, and I remember getting on the phone. And I, her friend, like, called me or something. And uh, I said, hey, I said, let me, uh, her friend was talking to me. I said, let me talk to Nicole real quick. <laughs> and I said, and if I remember correctly, I said, listen, I'm not interested in your friend, but I do like you. <laughs> and, uh, she, and she was th- you can tell you're part of it. But basically, she was like, well, that's good, because <laughs> I like you too. And uh, not quite like that. But anyway, it was uh, something along those lines. And then I'd go by, right below her store uh, was a movie store and there would be, uh, I'd go and rent a movie like every night that I was free, and I'd go by because I could go and visit her, and they had a video game in the front, and so I'd get quarters, I'd say, hey, will you change my quarters? And uh, she'd give me change, and then I'd say, here, give me one, will you hold these for me? So she'd hold my quarters. And uh, (laughs) then I had to constantly interact, you know, And, uh, and she was helping me. And, uh, so, and then I'd play the stupid game, which I have no idea what it was, and I wouldn't watch the movie half the time. I'd watch it a lot, but I liked it, but there was one movie I'd rent, and, uh, but I'd go in there just so I could hang out with her. And, uh, then the Marines sent me to Norway to cold weather, uh, cold, cold weather exercise, and, uh, then my roommate and I went to Hawaii for a week, which she has held against me until last year when we went there for our anniversary (laughs) and uh, because I didn't take her and uh, it was a few months past but then in uh, April, April 21st of 1996 I asked her out on the date and um, we went on our first date but she almost didn't go you can tell tell that portion.
1: I was super nervous I just gotten out of I was actually engaged and uh, broke off the engagement was Vowed off all men. I was not going to date. I was going to be an independent young woman by myself. But I really liked him. But I didn't want him to know. Like I would flirt, but I was like, "No, I can't go. I've got allergies. (laughs) I can't be outside." So I tried to work, talk my way out of a date. But I wasn't very convincing because I super wanted to go. So I caved.
0: I'm glad you did. me too. And uh, the Lord probably helped in that. and so we went on our first date and um, we had uh, it was it was a great date and it was a lot of fun, and then we pretty much saw each other every single day after that, uh, for the most part for years. <laughs> See even Miss Nancy, she's a We spent and, more
1: time apart after we got married than we ever did when we were dating.
0: That's true. That's true. And uh, the only time that we were really apart is uh, when I went to Charlotte, Um, went to Charlotte for a few months right before we got married. And a
1: couple of weeks at 29
0: Palms. Yeah, and a couple of weeks while the Marines had me in the desert. And um, so what's important about that is, uh, and you can tell a little bit of this, is that even though, so you have to understand, my, at this point, I'm the most worldly I've ever been in my life. But I'm still born again. I'm not like chasing after God. I'm really miserable because I got one world in God and one world, or one foot in God and one foot in the world. And uh, it's the most miserable place anybody can ever be is to have one foot in both realms. Go all in with God. He's worth it. But even at that place, because of God's change of character, because of his change of character, she didn't just see a worldly guy. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, even though he was, I mean, we'd go to parties together. We would drink together and stuff. But even with that, there was something different about him. There was a gentility to him. There was a a charisma to him, a draw to him, where it's not that he was, I don't want to say soft like a weakling, but he wasn't he was different, you know, all the other guys um I'd ever you know watched or talked to or dated or whatever were just punks, you know I mean, they were just self centered jerks where yeah, they here were. was yeah, they yeah. were I vowed off all guys <laughs> um but I watched as he would interact with people, and he had a love to him now I, at this point you know. For the first eight months of our dating, I wasn't saved, so I couldn't put words to it. But even in that, I watched as he would interact with people, and he would love on people, and he would be respectful to people. And even, you know, we joke around with my Diddy. My Diddy's a, a wonderful man, but he is not always the easiest man to get along with. He is very much a mountain man. His philosophy is it's my way or the highway, and if you want something done right, you do what you blankety-blank self. That's who we were dealing with, you know, but yet even with that, and that can rub, I watched him respect my ditty when many people would just say bump you and, you know, grab the daughter and go off on the date. I watched him tolerate at times when my daddy was in the wrong and, you know, treat him like a jerk. And that was very different, because any of the other guys I had ever dated, you know, or some of my brother's friends or whatever, they would just talk trash about him. But I watched as he tried to respect people, whether they deserved it or not. I watched as he loved on people, whether they deserved it or not. And that drew me to him, because there was something different about him that I was attracted to.
0: Yeah, and that that goes to say, too, when you see people that are strong-natured, Don't just assume that they're just a jerk or just the worst. Many times a strong nature, those are the people you actually want to be around. And I respected him. although I didn't respect how, I didn't respect every way of what he used to say to me then, and it would really frustrate me. I respected him because he would get things done. And and he did. He loved his family, and, and I respected that. And so a lot of times it's very important that when you see a strong character, you know, when you see a strong-natured or strong-willed person, don't blow them off. Yeah. You want to know people that have resolve, and he was one like that. And so eventually what happened was uh, around that same year, the Lord started drawing me back to church, and I realized I'd hit my knees in my apartments and realized, Lord, I can't do this without you. I remember getting on my knees in my apartment and crying to the Lord, first time I'd really spent with the Lord in some years now. And it, because I literally, and some people don't believe this, I think, but I literally, a couple weeks before that, had had a dream and had laid out a plan on how to sell and market drugs so that I could be wealthy and set up layers of protection so I would never be touched. I was about to be a drug dealer. Woohoo, good Christian stuff. You know, and uh, that's a legit thing. And, but that was kind of like the devil going one step too far because that woke me up. I was like, how far have I come that this is even an option now? Right. You know, how far have I fallen? And I still love Jesus. I, ha- I had Jesus in my heart, but these were the thoughts of a backtracking mind and I was moving backwards. And so all of a sudden I said, no, I can't do this. And a couple of weeks later I found myself on. All- on my knees, in my apartment, and hear this, Lord, I can't do this without you. And I want you to know that my cry today is the same thing. I can't do this without you, Lord. I gotta have you. I gotta have you on Sunday morning. I gotta have an anointing. I got to have the power of God that sets people free. I gotta have you, Holy Ghost, drawing people's hearts to the Lord. I must have you. I've got to have you. And that was just a few weeks before that, and then all of a sudden we started going back to church because I knew that if i got to have God, I've got to be in church. That's where His people are. That's where He commands us to be. I must assemble together with believers like His Word commands us to. We started going to church, and and at first it was like every three months. Then it was every two months. Then it was once a month. Then it was twice a month. And I remember walking in and thinking back about that family that turned their back on me as a kid who had done nothing wrong, saw me and turned their backs on me that was loving me. And the hypocrisy in the church, I could smell it. And it made me, I just wanted to grab the pew and like just run out of that place. But then the Lord had this older man say something to me. And the logic of this is not sound. I'm going to tell you what he told me. And then I'm going to tell you how he said it. It's not exactly right, but he said this. He said, listen, if you let a hypocrite come between you and God, that just means that the hypocrite's closer to God than you are. And I was like, here's your knife back. Thanks. Because I was staying out of church because the people weren't perfect. So I'm going to stay away from the perfect one because people aren't perfect. That's stupid. That's like saying I'm not going to go to the hospital if I need medicine. I'll go get medicine when I get, everything, when I get healed. Well, that's, just, that's not smart. And so what the Lord showed me later is never in my word did the wrongdoing of someone else give you the right to also do wrong. Never in my word did the wrongdoing of someone else give you the right to do wrong. So we started going to church, and one Sunday we went to church in December, and we came home. We were sitting around the dinner table after church, and uh, probably, uh, you know, the first time this had happened in years for my dad. But we were sitting around, and he taught, and you could tell the Holy Ghost was drawing Nicole's heart to the Lord. Something was changing. And you can tell
1: that. Well, I was, I, you yeah, know, I had a heart for people. I was a gentle person, but I didn't know I needed God. Like, I thought as long as you vote Republican and listen to country music, you're going to heaven. Um, <laughs> I, le- legit.
0: <laughs> That's sound, pleasant garden logic. It was. <laughs>
1: And if Elvis Presley it didn't sounds- see it, sing it, it wasn't a gospel. <laughs> so, you know, like literally when we first started going to church, I laugh now because I, I busted up in there in my mini skirt, purple, my purple mini skirt, and my top was so short I had to have a tank top under it to cover everything. So I just didn't know, and it was interesting. But so we went, and I watched as God worked on this man and you know and something that was different with him was he told me from the get-go i will not tell you that i love you until i know that i love you when i say it you're going to know i mean it he said no matter how much i love you i will not get married unless god says you're the one and i heard that and i'm like that's weird but okay But at the same time, as weird as it was, because I had never heard anything like that, as weird as it was, I respected and trusted that. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that, and up to this point, this was December 29, 1996, up to that point, he had never once told me he loved me. Um, I had told him because I knew it faster. But he had not told it. But yet, there was still something in him that I knew if he didn't yet know it, he'd find out soon, and I wanted what he had, and so I followed him and I followed his parents to church, um, and we sat around the dinner table that day. And I'm sitting here, and his daddy's sitting here, and he's here. And
0: they were not perfect, no. and, and I was not perfect. You know, you don't have to be perfect to no. have a witness.
1: None, of, none of us were perfect.
0: You just have to try. You just have to seek the Lord to be a witness. Yeah, and the Lord will help you.
1: So, and we, you know, we sat at the lunch table that day and Roger just talked to me about God and talked to me, um, just about the father's love and about, he wants me, he desires me and he wants me to be with him, um, for eternity. And he just looked at me and he said, if you were to die today, do you know that you would be with God? Do you know that he would be able to have you with him for all eternity? And I, I broke down, and I boo-hooed and cried because I didn't. I really hoped, you know, I prayed to him when I got in trouble that he would get me out of trouble, and then I'd forget to talk to him again until I got in trouble again. Um, but I didn't know him, and everything I'd heard and everything I'd seen in this weird of a man, I wanted I wanted that genuineness. I wanted that love. I wanted to know that I know that I know that, you know, should something happen, I would not just be with him, but I would be with a God that loved me that much. Yeah. And right there, Roger and Brian led me to the Lord. Amen. And he told me he loved me later.
0: Well, what was interesting was as soon as she said, Jesus, you're my Lord and I believe God raised you up from the dead, something clicked in me. I mean, and I, in a split second, I understand the verse that talks about be equally yoked, which is talking about be believers together. Don't, don't be yoked up and in marriage with somebody who's an unbeliever. Instantly, I had a love for her that I didn't have a split second ago. I mean, it was instantaneous, and as soon as that happened, the Lord, the Holy Ghost, spoke to me. One of the first times he spoke to me in a long time. He said, what would happen if you two were to get married? Which, first of all, I was like, what? You know, and uh, married? <laughs> oh, slow down, God. And, uh, but I felt that love. He said, what would happen? Because I knew now this was a possibility as well. He said, what would happen if you two were to get married? He said, would you be a good spiritual leader of your house? No, I wouldn't, and instantly I felt the draw of God, like I need to go after him again, and we need to go after him, and we weren't perfect, we had a lot of stuff to work out of both of us, but then, and then we went, and you know, some of you have heard this story, we went to a business meeting, and uh, I I take Nicole with me, and and she's, you know, we're at this business meeting, and I tell her as we're walking in, or right out no, it was right after we got there, and I said, now listen, if we walk up to somebody, I just want you to say hello and smile, okay? And just, you don't have to, you don't have to really say that much, but she was so much of an introvert and not social at all, and had such a low self-esteem, I said, so listen, if we walk up to somebody and say hello, you know, just, just say hello and smile, Okay? And, all, and she didn't respond. And then He wanted
1: me to go say hey to a group of ladies, like more than one. <laughs> there were like four or five standing there.
0: Uh, yeah, because I think the guys, the guys ended there, up going the over there. And the I said, right. just go and say hello. Go and say hello. And she didn't respond right away. And then all of a sudden, I saw the eyes get big and puffy. And, and the lips start <laughs> you know, quivering. I was like, oh, dear God. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. And, uh, and then, like, she didn't wait to get somewhere private. It started coming out. Fear had gripped her, and she was getting louder and louder. I was like, okay, come on, let's go over here. And we went into another room, and she's like, <laughs> I mean, and, uh, and, no, I can't talk to anybody. I can't see anybody. I can't do anything like this. So this is who she was at that time. And I mean, she lost it. And I was like, what in the world just happened to my beautiful girlfriend? Like, what happened? But that's how scared she was. You know, you saw her last week. But that's the Lord. She said, Lord, I'm yours. And little by little, the Lord drew her up higher and higher and higher and took her to places that if you'd have told her at the beginning, she would have never thought she could get to.
1: To run.
0: You would have run if God would have said God can take you to places that you don't dream of And don't worry about if you're afraid of it now And it, See, she's not afraid of that She has no fear over that She's sober-minded about it And she reverences the Lord But there's an anointing God will give you a grace to do what you're called yeah. to do He will give you a grace to do what you're called to do All you have to do is say, Lord, I'm yours Lord, I'm yours Lord, I, I'm yours. I'm giving myself to be trained to fly p- planes and even now instruct them. I'm giving myself, and, and He'll show you. He'll teach you. So we we go on from there, and uh, a few years later, I'm sitting there, and I had, if you remember, when we had the drive-in church, the friend came. He had gone through a divorce and he was hurting, and the Lord, uh, you know, the Lord just put it on my heart. You need to go be there with him. He wasn't born again. And uh, you need to go be there with them. Well, also, we had gotten really close. And I knew that she was probably the one that I was going to marry. I wasn't 100% yet, but I felt like we were close. And that did, it concerned me. It, it, I wasn't sure I was ready. I wanted to be the guy that God had called to be. And I was scared and I was fearful and I wasn't, I wasn't ready. So, yes, my friend needed help, but also I needed to figure out if this was real or not. What I found out was I missed her so much, and I got to the place while I was there. I was there for, what, three or six months, six months, and um, I got in Charlotte, and we were staying in Charlotte, and I realized one day, um, like, I love this lady. You know, I love her enough. I loved her from the day that she accepted Christ, and I told her that day, I love you, and um, I don't know what she did after that, but... um, Call your friends or something or what'd you do?
1: Well you whispered it in my ear and
0: uh I couldn't even tell you out loud.
1: <laughs> we were hugging and he whispered it in my ear and I didn't respond. So I went to the car and I'm like, did he really just say what I think he said? And so I didn't tell anybody. Like I, I prayed on it that night and I'm like, Lord, I just received you. Is this me hoping and praying and wishing so I'm hearing things? Did he really say what I think he said? I think he said what I think he thought he said. <laughs> and
0: so, yeah. so we dated for another couple of years after that and it was about two years later i was i said i think i want to marry nicole and i said but lord but what i'd said to you i meant and that was if you don't say it lord I, we're not getting married and uh so i uh i said lord uh, you got to tell me is this the lady for me and am i the man you know for her is this ordained by you you know and uh So I started praying and I didn't hear anything for like a month and then there was one night and it was like two days before Christmas uh, three days before Christmas and I went to bed and I just said Lord I got to pray and I literally prayed uh, for like hours into the night and then that and the Lord told me he said I want you to call some pastors tomorrow morning and I called several pastors and they were all like pretty religious in it but my dad had been a pastor so I called him and I said I said dad that I think I'm ready to marry her, but I need to know that it's God, and, um, and he said, I said, what do you think, and he said, well, and they had butted heads a couple of times, uh, my dad and, and her, and so he said, are you ready for me to tell you what I think, and you like, my dad, was, he would have told me, and um, I was like, yeah, I really am, you know, he said, I don't think you could find a better woman for you in this world than Nicole. Nope. (laughs) And as soon as he said that, it dropped in my spirit and I knew she was the one for me. That I was ordained for her and she was ordained for me by God. I had resolve on it. I knew it. And so that day, even though I'd been up half the night, I went, I was tired. I went all day shopping for a ring, and by the end of the day, I had a ring ready, and uh, that's the story that she tells, and I called her, and I'm so excited, I knew that if, if I don't get off the phone with her, she's gonna figure it out, you know? Like, I was so excited, I was, I, I'm gonna tell her that I'm, I wanna get married, I'm gonna tell her over the phone, so I was like trying to just shut the phone call down. And uh, so I shut it down. And she thinks I'm being rude. And I'm not being rude. I'm just trying to hide that. I got a ring. I'm about to ask you to marry me. And uh, so all of a sudden, the next day, I drive in from Charlotte. And I get, and I was like, you know what? I was going to wait till Christmas Eve. This is Christmas Eve Eve. I can't wait. Come over to the house. So I'm paging her. It was this pager. It's the thing you used to get messages (laughs) in. And uh, it was before the smartphones. It was a, a pager. And um, anyway, I was paging her, and uh, she was ticked <laughs> and because, and she was like telling her friend, she, she was like, he don't even want to talk to me last night, and now he's like blowing up my pager, pager, and uh, blowing up my pager trying to get me to call and everything like that, and then she gets to the house, and uh Everybody, like, she gets there, I'm so excited, and I can tell, like, she is mad. I'm like, what in the world wrong with her, you know, because <laughs> uh, I was clueless. And uh, what in the world is wrong? And about that time, everybody leaves the room because they all knew what was about to happen. So they all leave the room, and uh, I come back in, and I kneel down and ask her to marry me, and she says...
1: Is
0: this real? <laughs> Is like, it yeah, real? it's real.
1: <laughs> yeah. But you gotta back up and tell them there was no, another one. No, well,
0: that's another another time. But I had tricked he had her. i had fake proposed before. Yeah, I had wow. fake proposed. Yeah. It was but a, it was obviously. It fake. was obvious. It was a joke. It so. was like a
1: quarter machine yeah. ring. Yeah. So he proposed, she and I said, "Is it, it real?"
0: She still has it, though. I do. So, anyway, so she's like, "Is this real?" I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's real." And so we plan the wedding, and we get married in May. And uh, then the Lord tells us very clearly, move to Polkton, from Greensboro to Polkton. Culture shock. From Greensboro to 600 people, you know, rolled the streets up at night. But it's in that place where we had no money, we had no thing, but we had Jesus and each other. Yeah. And the word says be equally yoked, and both of us started to grow in God together. I was learning it again. She was learning it, learning it for the first time. And the Lord started meeting us there, started meeting us and pouring out on us. And we had a, we had a full-size Bronco, and the Lord told us, drive this V8 Bronco. We're earning less than $15,000 a year between the two of us. And he says, drive this full-size Bronco 45 minutes to this church that was alive. A church alive is worth the drive. Amen. And that's where we learned faith. Yeah. And that's where the Lord poured out on us. A church alive is worth the drive. Man, it took everything extra we had just to get to church. And we went two or three times a week. Yeah. (laughs) But we were hungry. God will meet you. God will supply. Little did we know. That in that move of faith, God would feed us what you're getting fed even today, what you're receiving from. Are you glad that we put an an investment into getting to a church that was alive? You see? And so then we moved on, and then that church, actually, the pastors were moving away, and uh, the uh, the Lord had told us, you know, remember, I've been believing God to pastor now, I've been believing God to pastor since I was 11. So it's been, you know, years and years and decades now. And all of a sudden the pastor and his wife are moving away and that church is basically going to shut down. And I had people that had recognized the call of God and they said, said, well, you should start the church. You should just take over this church and do it. And, I, and what did I want to do on the inside? What did we want to do? Yes, we'll do that. We'll do it. We'll take over this church. It'll be awesome. And it'll go to great heights. That's what we were thinking. That's what logic says. But here's what we didn't have. We didn't have from the Lord. We didn't have that from the Lord. He didn't say take over that church. One of the best decisions we ever made in our life.
1: Yeah.
0: What we did have was this. Go to Albemarle. Go to Albemarle. I got a plan for you there. And we came to Albemarle a year and a half later. The Lord supernaturally provided for a place. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we find a church. And then in the middle of that church one night, we're in prayer. We were obedient to go to prayer. And I felt the download from heaven. (laughs) The gift of a pastor came in. There was a separation from God by the Holy Ghost. I immediately called my pastor. I said, what's going on? Because I felt, I knew what it was. This is the gift of a pastor. Because even though I'd always had a shepherd's heart, something was different today. This was different. I looked at people different. They, and the Lord was giving me vision. And it was awesome. And my pastor said, I can't tell you now, but I'll tell you later. So I knew something was up. He got back and he, he had revealed to me after a while, he said, I just got asked to go and pastor a church. In, or to be a pastor at a church in Tennessee. I went, glory to God, we're about to be a pastor after 20-something years. We're about to do what God's told us to do. He said, you need to put together a resume and apply to be the pastor of this church. And what I didn't know then was I had his full, you know, pretty much his full backing. But I'm young. I'm Nobody knows me. I'd been at that church for like six months at this point. And, uh, but here, here it is. Well, guess what? The board said... No, <laughs> they didn't even hardly look at me. And like it was obvious to me that the Lord wanted us there, but they said no. And then they brought in somebody else and said, "Hey, we're bringing in this person." So here I am feeling like I know I'm called the pastor of this church, and here's a guy they're bringing in. That's not the will of God. <laughs> And I'm irritated and jealous, coveting. And then the Lord says, because he had given me vision, I'd waited for 25 years approximately to pastor. 25 years since I knew it when I was 11. 25 years, and he had now given me vision to pastor. And he says, are you the pastor of this church? No. He said... Two visions is thy vision. Kill it. Kill the vision I gave you. Kill the vision? I have waited 25 years for this. He said, you're not the pastor. Whether that was my doing or not, you've got to kill that vision. And I finally understood Abraham when, when God said, I want you to offer your son Isaac. I understood it like I'd never understood it before because I'd waited for this promise for so long to be who God wanted me to be, and he had given me this vision, and now he told me to kill it. And I'm going to tell you, physically and mentally, it hurt, it hurt, it hurt, it hurt, but I made sure to do it, because I was not going to be responsible for division, and so I killed it. I said, Lord, I, we will serve you here at this place as long as you want us to. And soon, not long after that, I didn't know this was going to happen, but not long after that, as soon as I got my heart right, he led us to, to move out of that place, and about a year later, he told us, I want you to start a church, and that was in 2008, they started talking to us about it, and then I said, Lord, well, what's the, what do you want us to do? Well, do you want to name it, and boomerang kept coming to me, <laughs> and I was like, Boomerang? What kind of name for a church is that? I was like, Lord. And this was my exact prayer. Certainly, you do not want us to call this church Boomerang Church. (laughs) And he didn't answer me. And then we went, "Uh uh-oh. Uh-oh. Certainly, you don't want us to call this church Boomerang Church. And we sat there. And because we had had a vision about five years later at my mom's Sunday school class, they, wanted to, they were looking for a name for their Sunday school class, and one of the names was Boomerang. And as soon as they said it, I had a vision, and I saw the body of Christ take up a boomerang, that individual person. And every week they would empower, because you know, if you throw a boomerang, you're empowering it with kinetic energy. And if it's thrown correctly, it will disperse that energy and land right back in the hands of the body, ready to be empowered again. So every week, you are boomerangs, taking the gospel and the will of God out. Every week and every Sunday, you're getting empowered with the power of God. You're the light of the world. You're the salt. You are the ministers of God, boomerang. That's who you are, and every week, we're catching you again and empowering you with the anointing again, ready to go out there and take that. And the year we started in 2009, and I told the Lord, I said, we don't have to have a name that sticks out there that much. We don't have to have a name that sticks out there. It was, it was false humility talking. I was like, it sticks out there, and I understand the marketing value, God, of it, but we don't have to have a name that sticks out there that much. And uh, God didn't like my false humility. He said, that's what I want it called. And all of a sudden, the Marine kicked in. Yes, sir. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's the name. And then we had heard many people over the years, especially religious-minded, religious, religious minded, like, what in the world is a boomerang church? Who would call that church a boomerang church? And we heard it. like There was one time I was in line at a banquet, and I'm standing behind people, and there's like two ladies in front of me. They're like, boomerang church, what in the world? Who would call, what a, what a silly name for a church? And I was sitting there right behind them like, Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) Like, that is crazy. I wonder if they're from Australia. (laughs) Because that's what people would say. That's just crazy, you know. And then I, you know, try to watch for the moment when somebody says, Oh, that's the pastor right there. You know, the one you were talking in front of. (laughs) And uh, so then all of a sudden, you know, he says, that's what I want it called. And this is one of the things that happened. We had the first service. On January 11th, 2009, so it will be 12 years in January. And uh, in that first service, I think we had like 20 people there, and uh, we ran 10 for about the first year, and it stayed about there. But that year, uh, all the Baptist churches had in their vacation Bible school, it was the Boomerang Express. So all over Stanley County, there were boomerang signs everywhere, like everywhere. It was like God marketing for us, you know, and everything. And then this is one of the greatest things was because the Lord told us don't market. He said you can have a website, but all it can have is a phone number, an address, and times. That's it. No marketing. You cannot market. Well, everybody else was using a system called the ARC system, which is it works. And uh, But he told us, don't do it that way, and we didn't know what God was doing, but uh, all we could do is put a sign at the end of our driveway at the house and have that web page and that was it, and just let it sit. And that is not a marketing plan, unless it's God doing something bigger and building a foundation to build something big on. And so, but what was, this was what was neat. In our heart, from the beginning of it, was this. At the beginning of it, our heart was to connect people to God. To connect them to God. That was our heart. Lord, we want people to be connected to you. And so in that moment, people would drive out. They never came to the church. But I heard this testimony probably 20 or 30 times myself. And when they told the testimony, it was almost word for word, almost word for word, the exact same words. So I knew God was doing something supernatural. And how many many testimonies did I not hear, right? These are the ones I heard. And so people would say this. I was driving by the other day, and I saw your son for Boomerang Church, and I thought, what in the world is a boomerang church? I was like, I thought that too. And uh, how many people thought that when you first heard it? <laughs> what in the world is a boomerang church? And then, it, then they said this. And then I thought, a few seconds later, well, I guess everybody's coming back to the Lord at some point. I guess everybody's coming back to the Lord at some point. And then a few seconds after that, I prayed to the Lord for the first time in years. So just the name started getting people talking to God again. Now that's the wisdom of heaven. That's not something I could have ever thought of on my own, but because we were obedient. And so I'd hear, you know, religious people talking down about the name and I'd think, you don't even know what God's doing with that name. And don't don't just think because something's weird that God's not up to it and God's not in it. Sometimes God's doing something bigger than what we can fathom in in those things. And so we started in that time and Really, for the first eight years, we were just building a foundation, then God gave us new vision, a house of love and prayer, living in abundance, winning souls, and making disciples for Jesus. Gave us a heart for those things. Give us a heart. God is not a respecter of persons. And I'm telling you right now that what you're going to see is you're going to see where that foundation's about to take us in a time where many people have been crippled from a 2020. But you'll see a place where we are in faith and patience and we inherit the promises of God. And we're moving into that now. God moves on this people. He's not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of faith. And if you will have faith in him, he will meet you. I want to give you one more testimony. And I want you to hear this because this relates to finances and healing and everything. And then I'm going to call you in a minute. For a new faith to be poured out for the rest of this year and for 2021. But not just 2021. Lord, we're expecting to see things this year. In the rest of October, in the rest of November, Lord, we're going to give you ourselves, just like that young seven-year-old boy ran to the altar, just like that, that red-headed girl at the dinner table gave her heart to God, just like that young 20-something guy hit his knees in his apartment and said, Lord, I can't do this without you. We're going to give you an opportunity to reset all of that, and let's go forward together in unity. But I want to tell you this story about the house that we're in now because I think this will be very beneficial to you. When we moved down to Popeton, uh, we, we bought a house for $200. It was an 1,100-square-foot house for $200. And it was worth every penny. <laughs> and not much more than that
1: almost the
0: whole house it's affectionately called the ugly house <laughs> and the floor was coming away from the walls and you could see through this is our house when we got married it was. down in poketon
1: <laughs> look at mama's face it was
0: yes mom-in-law loved it
1: she wasn't happy
0: <laughs> you could see outside in between the wall in one room, in between the wall and the floor was a gap of about four inches, and I could see the ground out there, and in the summer, weeds would grow up through the wall. Yeah, cut the grass from the inside, Paul said. <laughs> one night, in one room, we had it as a storage room, the room we actually entered into, the same room that had that. And the reason is, I bought the house, the fire department had cut a hole in it. Uh, to use it to do a test fire in and to practice on because they were putting in a uh and it had expanding that hole the road. in it huh expanding the road. yeah they were expanding the road and so i was able to buy the house house was a, a bad house it was just that it had not been taken care of and then i didn't know what i was doing as a first-time home buyer either but my grandfather made a whole lot of money by buying houses and then moving the houses i'm not talking about mobile homes i'm talking about real houses uh, that they would pick up and you know, put them on beams and drive them down the road, and he made a lot of money doing that. And so my uncle was still in that business, and so I bought the house for $200. I paid about 2000 to get it moved from uh, Waxhaw area to Popeton, and we set the house down. We didn't have the foundation set. We could lower it onto that later, but we left it on the beams for a while, then eventually I put up... Some little pillars and everything, but the house just never, it never got set right. So, anyway, it was affectionately called the ugly house. And, uh, but that's where we lived for the first five years of our marriage, minus the stint in the warehouse where we lived in a warehouse. And mom-in-law loved that even more. And um, one night, uh, we heard scurrying in that little room. And, uh, you know, through the, through the room and uh, I, I, we discovered glue traps uh, for mice and rats. I'd never heard of glue traps before, but we figured we got a mouse problem. You know, when you're watching TV <laughs> and you see something out of the corner of your eye, and you're like, "Did I just see what I thought I saw? Like, was that mouse carrying a bag of Cheetos? <laughs> I think I think he was
1: carrying a ramen noodle. Yeah, yeah." <laughs> <a deal. laughs> Was
0: that mouse carrying our pack of ramen noodles? I'm going to kill that joker. Those ramen noodles, they're important right now. We're making less than 15000 a year between the two of us. <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to tell you. Those years, those five years, were some of the best years of our marriage. Amen. Because it was her and I and God.
1: Yeah.
0: And the girls came at the end of that. Some of the best years ever because we grew in the Lord. It's amazing. We were we really weren't. I mean, we pay, we saw the house, but we weren't paying attention. That wasn't our focus and our priority. Jesus was. We sat there for hours watching messages and listening to preaching, and Jesus just fed our spirits, and that kept us just going.
1: Well, and He helped to develop who we were. Yeah. You know, when we moved there. I'd never been away from my mama. Like, I was very yes. much a mama's girl, and I didn't think there could be another woman as wonderful as her. So, my identity was in my mama. How mama ate her eggs, I ate my eggs. Yeah. Because Elvis sang gospel and played in movies and stuff. That was the king, the only king I knew at that point. And So my identity was, well, if mama likes it, that must be what I like because she's the best woman on earth, and I'm going to live up to who she is. And in that house, God said, your mom is wonderful. I created her. I gave her to you. She is a gift and a blessing, but you're not called to be Nancy. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You're called to be Nicole. And he developed that identity in me where I was scared to talk to anybody except for her and him. You know, I started to see, and part of that was because I didn't have an identity. My identity was Mama, so if Mama wasn't there, I didn't know who to be or how to be. So when he pulled me away from her, y'all, I cried for the first three months because I was ripped away from everything I knew. But in that house, yes, I had made him my savior. I accepted him as my savior. But in that house, I made him my Lord. Yeah. Because in that house, I had pastor and I had Jesus. And there are things pastor couldn't be for me. And in that house, he raised him up again Because we were chewing on the meat of the word in ways that I didn't even know existed. And so he was being raised up again. I was being raised up for the first time. I cut my teeth on Kenneth Hagin. Like, we just skipped the bottle. I went straight to, like, (laughs) chewing on ribeye. Because as he was growing, he wasn't going to go backwards. He picked up where he left off. He knew I can't go backwards. There's steak. So yeah. I'm jumping into steak. So in that ugly house, it was very much an ugly house. Like it deserved the name that it had. But I'm going to tell you what, I'd go back to the ugly house yeah. and do it all again. Knowing yeah. now what I know, I'd do it all again yeah. because in that ugly house, I met my Lord in that ugly house. We grew. Yeah. Had we, I'm, you know, had we been anywhere else? It's not that our marriage was horrible, but a first year of marriage is hard enough, you know. And in that ugly house, our marriage like melded together. Yeah we became one
0: in Christ in
1: Christ, yeah. because we chased so hard after God in that ugly house that we met each other yeah. and we learned who each other truly was as we learned who we individually were in Christ.
0: Amen. And, that, and that's exactly what happened. And, you know, so don't be afraid of places that you're out at, but find contentment no matter what it looks like or where you're at because Jesus will be there with you as well. And so, in that place, you know, the Lord starts talking to us, leading us. He starts putting us on the track of ministry. We start growing up in the Lord, and yeah, we had challenges and our flesh got in the way, uh, but we just stayed after Jesus. And that consistency, it got us. Whereas at first it was like this. It was up and down and flesh and then spirit and flesh and spirit and flesh and spirit. That got smaller and smaller and started to smooth out where we were just growing with the Lord. But it started in that place and we needed to find our identity in Christ. You know, in that same place I found my identity not in my dad, but I found my identity in the Lord. You you know? can tell him how many mics we can. Oh yeah. The glue trap. So yeah. <laughs> So we came back that one morning and put out a glue trap one night. Came back the next morning, and there was this little patch of carpet over here moving, blah, 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 like this. I went, eh, What is that? Oh, that's the glue trap with nine mice on it. <laughs> nine one night. Next night, we caught more. Not nine, but more. Pl- plural. It's in the middle of the country, too, and, you know, there's a gap between the floor this much, you know, so they're coming in to eat the dog food. I would, too, if I was a mice.
1: (laughs) If you were a mice.
0: Huh? If you were a mice. I know, I said it, yeah. I said it on purpose. And then all of a sudden, I was working for my dad, and I wasn't making great money, but I was working. I'd done every part of the business, but the Lord drew it in my heart. He said, I want you to... Buy, buy the company from your dad. Uh, and I was like, dad will never sell that company. Like that's not in his nature to do that kind of thing. And I said, but I think I heard this from the Lord, so I'm going to ask him to do it. So I asked him, I said, hey, dad, I'm thinking about buying it. And it was all God, because I, I think he would have never sold it up until that moment. And I don't think he would have sold it past that moment. But in that moment, he said, I think this is right. And he sold it to me. And uh, that, we had actually been looking, the Lord had already told us to move to Albemarle. And uh, when I got the company and I started making, we were on paper, and it kind of works this way, on paper it said we made like $50,000, but uh, in the, uh, you know, actually what we made was like 35000 but on paper it had to look that way. And um, we were making just enough to get a loan to get a house here in Albemarle and the Lord moved it. We had actually come and looked at this house. We'd been looking at Almar. We'd been with a realtor all day long, and there was no no house that caught our attention. We're on the way home, going past the Ag Center, and at the end of where our house is now, there was a little sign, home for sale, and uh, we saw it, and all of a sudden, we go in there, and uh, we, we pull up, and there's this beautiful house back there, and I was like, this is awesome, and uh, I thought, know if this is going to be within our price range we knock on the door and this lady comes and we said we were just house shopping day we came up and she said well come on in come and look at the house and uh, she told us she took us and showed us the whole house and it was beautiful and it was about fifty thousand dollars above our price range i was like oh man it's beautiful i love it but anyway and uh, but while we were there they were a pastor they had built that house and only pastors had ever lived in that house they built it in 2001 and while we were there, her husband had actually already moved. And, and her husband called, and she said, guess who I'm talking to? And, and she said, I'm talking to the people that are going to buy our house. And, and I'm like, logically, that's not going to happen. But when she said that, I felt it. I was like, that was the word of the Lord. That was God's word. And the same word that will cause you to walk on water will fit get a house ready for you. And in about six months, our finances had changed in the company, and we were able to buy that house. And so at the end of the year, we put an offer on the house. We got, we got approved for it. That's a miracle in itself. I heard the angels singing, like, you got approved. I was like, oh. God, you're amazing. How did you do that? And uh, all of a sudden, we got approved for the house. We had everything we needed to move up to Albemarle. Why are we moving to Albemarle? For ministry. We knew we're coming here to minister. My goal was was to basically have the company that would pay all of the bills, and then we could uh, minister, and we wouldn't have to pull out of the church or do anything like that, and we could just... We could just minister on what the company uh, paid for and we could just you know start the church and that was our goal. And then we were there for about two years or about a year and the Lord started talking to me about selling the company. And I went, selling the company? I was going to take this company that was dad's. I was going to make it great and uh, and, and I, it was going to be awesome. I was going to have it forever. It was going to be like something I could pass to my kids, sell it. And at first I was like, get behind me devil that was not in the plans. But he told, me to, he told me to sell it. It took me about a year or two to get that in my heart. And finally I realized, this is God telling us to sell the company. The problem was, I don't have a degree. She doesn't have a degree. And I've always worked for myself or for my family for the most part. What am I going to put on a, on a resume? You know, hey, I work for myself. I'm great. <laughs> I can do whatever I set my mind to. And if you don't believe it, ask my dad. (laughs) He thinks I'm awesome too. You should hire me. And the Lord says, he says, sell the company. I was like, finally, we were praying about it. And I knew, I said, this is the Lord. But we need to speak it out right now. Because if I'm left alone, I'm probably not going to want to sell it. So I was like, I got up on Sunday morning, I was doing the announcements at the church, and I said, and Nicole and I are going to sell the company. I was like, let me get my word on it, that way I can't back off of it. And uh, so we started looking for somebody to buy the company. And uh, then all of a sudden, you know, I was going to sell it for about, it wasn't much for a company, but it was I was going to sell it for like 250 and I, 250000 and I'll take 200000 right? And so that would, that would have been about five times uh, what it was worth on paper, which I heard was a standard for selling a company, of what I would make each year. And so I went to sell it and uh, didn't really find anybody. There was one guy that really should have balled it because he had all the background uh, to do it, but he just wouldn't pull the trigger on it. But then the Lord, the Lord uh, brought somebody, and He said, "I want them." The Lord told me, "I want them to have the company." I was like, "Okay, great." So the price was two hundred thousand, and uh, then the Lord talked to me, and He said, "If I ask you to sell it for half of that, would you?" But sell it for half of that? You mean like I just lost a hundred thousand dollars? Yeah. I said. So I'm selling it for a hundred thousand now. Yes. Well, Lord, if it was you, yeah, I would. I would sell it for that. I mean, if you're wanting me to do that, I don't mind. I would sow that hundred grand, you know, into you. Now you gotta understand, I didn't have a hundred grand in the bank, but that's what I could have had if I'd have sold it for that price. He said, "Would you sell it for that?" Yes, I spent we spent some time praying on it, seeking the Lord, yeah I would. I went on about a week or two and everything. We were talking and the Lord said, If I asked you to sell it for half of that, would you? It's like, time out, God. I don't like the direction this is going. <laughs> like I've I've done lost two hundred thousand dollars now from two fifty down to you're talking about selling it for fifty thousand dollars. But I said Lord, I'm yours. What I have is yours. What What we have is all yours. I'd sell it for whatever you tell me to. I'd give it away if you want me to. He said, well, I want you to sell it for 50. Okay, no problem. I trust you. We're sowing into you and into the kingdom. I know that you'll repay. So yeah, we'll sell it for that. So I told the guy, of course, he was happy. He was excited for that. The Lord told me to sell it to you for this price. What? Yeah. So the the plan was, now you gotta understand though, here's the thing, at 250,000, we're paying off the house, we're paying off all the debt, and now we've gotta find a job, but we've got some backup to find it, right? At 100,000, that doesn't pay off the house. That, that pays off the debt, but you still have the house, maybe pays off the car, we had just bought that envoy, right? And we, now, we, now we have that. but it doesn't pay off everything. We still have we still have quite a bit. We've got to find a job, and it's got to be quick, and it's got to be decent money, right? At 50,000, that barely covers the car, but it's like, okay, maybe we can just keep that as running money for a year while we find a job to take the place of it. But if the Lord's asking us to do it, there's provision in the word. Say it with me. The word works. The word works. Yeah. There's provision. We knew He was saying that. But here's the issue. Then He says, it comes up to it. The plan was He was going to give us, um, He was going to give us the 50,000, all in one lump sum. We'd be able to pay off some of the debts that had like the high interest rates and then hold the rest and everything. It came down to the time of the sale and it what he had worked out, it just wasn't working. And I was like, Lord, what do you want us to do? He said, I want you to sell the company. How? He said, I want you to finance it to him. How much? $1,000 a month. That doesn't even pay the mortgage. She didn't have a job. I don't have a job. My only reference is myself. God, what are you doing here? What are you doing? He said, I want you to finance it. Would you finance it to him? So, okay, $5,000 down. And then over four years, $1,000 a month. So it comes out to like $53,000 total, but it's financed to him. Okay. Yeah, I'll do that. I tell the person they're happy about it, but now we're in trouble. That's, if, if that doesn't come through and we don't have a job, that's the house, that's the car, bye-bye. And there's a verse in Timothy, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6, it says, uh, let, me, let me just go there. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6 and verse 8, very important, and this really brought me through. It says this, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Verse 8, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. In other words, I've got, we have to find, learn to find contentment even if it's not all the answers and not all the supply we think we need. Yeah. But with godliness it's great gain. Godliness actually is a means of great gain. Great gain. When accompanied by contentment. And the Lord said, are you content? It's Like, I don't feel like being content right now. <laughs> I just lost $200,000 know, of potential. I don't feel like being content, but I guess we'll have a house. And if we lost the house, we could sleep in a tent in the woods. There's some woods back there we slept in a warehouse before. We've slept in an ugly house before. God, and he said, and this house is beautiful. Like, I mean, we cried in this house for months afterwards just at what the Lord had given us and and uh, just so happy with it and so happy to have that car was an answer to prayer. For years, we prayed for a white or a silver envoy. And God brought that exact thing into being. And, and we were sitting there and uh, it's like, you know, but the decisions we're making now we're giving that stuff up if God doesn't come through we're done we're in a tent we're calling Nancy <laughs> we don't know what we're doing but God's got to come through families start hearing about what we were doing and talking about they thought we had lost it. They thought we had lost our mind, but we knew we'd heard from the Lord. Now listen, don't just do something crazy for crazy's sake, but if you've heard from God, the key is make sure you've heard from God. Most people, they, they think they've heard from God. Make sure. That's what you got. want a good pastor for so he can help you weed through that stuff. And then, all of a sudden, it comes up to the time of the sale. We had agreed upon that. He was going to give 5000 down and make payments. We get to the the day of the sale and basically he says my stuff didn't come through. I don't have anything right now. God said sow the 5,000 into them and don't make them do a payment for the next three months. What's on the line here? Everything. House, car, all of that stuff, but God's a respecter of faith, and when you know you've heard from the Lord, and I'm concerned about it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about. It. I'm sitting out. There's actually a place on the back, on the back side of the property overlooking that field. I just like one day I want to put a gazebo there and just be like my praying spot, you know. And Nicole's put a bench out there where we we'll go out there and pray sometimes. And but I was sitting there overlooking that field, and the wind was blowing over the wheat that day. And it was almost like the presence of God was blowing in that place. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do for a job. I don't know anything. I don't know anything about this. And the Lord spoke to me right there strongly. It wasn't like audible words, but I heard the voice of the Lord. And here's what he said. He said, I've given you this place for many years. They put it up there. I've given you this place for many years. As soon as those words spoke, I heard them ring in my heart. Ah, I don't know how he's gonna do it, but there's provision in the word of the Lord. I knew the Lord had just spoken to me. I knew provision was there. I have given you this place. I knew it was gonna be all right. How? I have no idea. She was pushing me to go to work. I didn't like it. I wanted her to be free and at home, but she was hearing from the Lord. But I was like, no, she needs to be home, and I want her to have that ability and everything. And then the Lord took me to Proverbs 31. And it says in Proverbs 31, woman, he said, that woman's selling property, making money, everything. I was like, doggone, Proverbs 31 was in business. Go to work. <laughs> Go to work. And uh, and she had been wanting to, but I hadn't let her. And I was like, no, I just don't feel right about it. When I saw that, I was like, that's the Lord. I knew she had been hearing from the Lord. I'd been missing it. She went to work for a temp job. How much was it an hour? At $12 an hour. That ain't going to pay the mortgage. That's not gonna pay the car. If that paid the car, it would barely pay the car at that time. So, what's that gonna do? But we knew that was the right thing. Well, she goes into work that day, and the lady goes, I'm quitting. I'm moving away. And I'm gonna train you to be my replacement. I said, Really? Well, that's awesome. But do you know how much the lady was making? neither did we what difference does it make she might be making 13 dollars an hour and that ain't going to be worth much we didn't know what she's going what she was making so what's on the line here the house the car on what the word of the lord the word works the word works we didn't know what it was but she said i'm going to train you." here's the other thing when's that going to take place like when are you leaving Like you could be leaving tomorrow or you could be leaving like in two years two years ain't gonna help us none So we don't know when you're leaving we don't know what you're making You know the job that she has now the job she got you can't get it without a degree You had to have a degree it's on it's on the job description you've got to have it She didn't have a degree. I don't have a job. The Lord's telling me to do stuff in media He says I want you to start a company in media I thought I was pastor. I was going to go preach, Lord. You want me to do stuff in media? The issue is now that study in media is helping hundreds of churches around the world because where I gave myself to what the Lord said, he educated me, and now I'm helping people stream. Who knew that a lockdown was coming? God did. God did. That's why we listen. So because I gave myself to that, he was able to train me to help others because she gave herself to that. All of a sudden, the lady's getting getting ready to leave and go to another office. She starts training Nicole, and so the payments start over. I, I stop getting money in November, right? So like in September, I start, training, I start training for this. I don't get my first payment until November. I think it was September to November is this little gap. And all of a sudden, what are we gonna do? If I don't have a job, she doesn't have a job. Then we lose the house, we lose the car, we lose all of this. All of a sudden, but God gave me a word. I've given you this place for many years. Lord, we trust you. We rest in you. The word works. Lord, you'll come through. Family going, y'all are crazy. You've lost your mind. You've fallen off the cart and bumped your head. But the Lord said, I've given you this place for many years. Anybody ever felt like that? Lord, I need your help. I need a word. I need a breakthrough. Seek the Lord with all your heart, and you will find him. You'll find him. And you're in a place that sees the inheritance. Yeah. All of a sudden, the lady announces when she's leaving, and it's in a good time, but how much is she going to make? She goes in. She, I'm driving down the road from work one day. I'm coming home, and, and they had told her, we're going we're gonna to make you an offer on the position. And I said, I said, Lord, we need that offer to come in. We need her to be hired, and we need it to be at this date, or else we're going backwards quick. And all of a sudden, I, the, the she said, "We're going to get an offer. I think they're going to give me an offer tomorrow. I think I was on the phone with you, and you told me that. I was like, Glory to God. And all this, and I said, Lord, I said, we need, we need, we need some money. Like this needs to be a decent offer. Like this doesn't need to be. He says, Well, how much do you need? I said, "Well, at a minimum, we need to just cover everything. A minimum is we need 35,000 a year minimum." I said, "But I'd really love it if you if if it was 50,000. That would like give us some breathing room and everything, and that would be a blessing. We could get by with 35, but it really is not enough. I re- if it was 50, it'd be awesome." And the Lord says, "Ask me for it." I said, Ask you for it. You know the Lord loves you. He's got great plans for your life. This is why I want you to hear. You have a loving father. This is why I told you all of these stories today. I wanted you to hear the background, some of the history. I didn't want to just string out a service. I wanted to get to this place. God has great plans for you. And if he'll do it for us, he'll do it for you. And I said, Lord, I said, ask you for it okay. I said, Lord, I just ask you right now. Lord, let that offer be over 50,000. Let that offer be 50,000 a year. And that was it. I said, amen. I kept driving home. The next day the offer comes in, $50,400. Glory to God. Exactly what we had asked. And then I went Stupid, 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 stupid. God told you to ask for something. Oh my goodness, you're talking to God here. I was like, I could have at least said 100 or something, you know. I asked for it, he gave it. I was like, man, the next time you ask, he, and he's, he's asked me that, he's told me that one other time. I, I asked big that time. He, he said, ask me for it. And I, I said, said that, he brought it in exactly. I'm like, man, if God says, what do you want? Ask big. He's a big God. I thought, golly, what could that have been? But I was thrilled, we were thrilled. Thrilled, thrilled, thrilled. Guess what happened? The timeline, my income went down, boop, the same week her income came up. And there was no gap, no bills missed, no nothing. God had it planned out the whole time. And God is not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of faith. And if he'll do it for us, he'll do it for you. And as you reach out and you grab a hold of him, he'll grab a hold of you. He will lift you up. He'll bring you the supply. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you what you need. The thing is, we've got to hit our knees and we've got to humble ourselves. And we got to say, Lord, Lord, I need you. I got to have you. I got to have you. I got to have you. There's so many testimonies along the way. I'm just like, as I'm telling these, I'm like, we're leaving this out and this out, and this was a miracle, and this was a miracle, and I probably got a whole different set than what you have. God is faithful. I want to pray for anybody who wants prayer today. But I also want us to, you know, receive the offering. And, and not just, don't, when you give today, don't give just like you've always given. Give along the lines of, Lord, you're faithful, and I trust you. And I'm not talking about the amount. I'm talking about connect your heart to it. If you're faithful to come through for Brian and Nicole, we're in this church. We're in their church. I have a right to draw on that too. I have a right to draw on that grace because I'm partner with that church. Lord, come through big to me. Bring it about supernaturally. Let there be no gaps in my health, in my finances. Let things turn around. I want to hear from you. I want to be in relationship with you. And I receive it by faith today. And things are changing. My life's going up and it'll never be the same. It'll never be the same. It'll never be the same. Lord, I need you. I want to ask you just to close your eyes right now. If you, at any point during this message, you were saying the same thing I was in my apartment that day Lord, I need you. I've got to have you in my life. I've got to have you in my life. If at any point you're thinking, I want to do some great and mighty things. I want to see the dead raised. I want to see the power of God released like they have. i got to have you, Father. If at any point you were thinking that, that's the Holy Ghost encouraging you to have faith on a God that you can't see. But he's there and he loves you. And many times you felt him drawing you in your heart. And right now he's drawing you as well. If you're sitting there and saying, all right, I may know God, but I need to go to another level. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand right now. Lord, I know you, but I've got to go to another level. Just raise your hand quickly. Don't be afraid. It's almost everybody in here looks like. Lord, I got to go to another level. I'm just going to pause for a second. Raise your hand. Keep it up high. Let me see it. Because I'm going to pray for you too. Lord, I need you. I need your help. I need to go to the levels that heaven has planned. Not to the low thinking that I've been taught by the earth. You've got better plans than that for me. I just invite every person right now, just stand on your feet and If you need to come up to the altar, you're welcome to come up to the altar. But you've heard the word. You've heard the good news of God today. If you feel like you need to come up to the altar, or if you want me to pray for you this morning, for breakthrough to happen, for your body to be healed, for favor and promotion in your job. If you want... To just be set free from something that's been holding you back if you need if you need to come up to the altar or you need prayer come up now Lord I need the power of God in my life I need the anointing of God and when I lay hands on you you're going to receive that or maybe it don't need prayer but you just need you need to hit your knees and kind of the Lord is saying you need to do that in front of other people Lord in front of everybody Jesus you're my Lord you're the Lord of my life I need you I got to have you just like Pastor Brian on his knees in that apartment Lord I can't do this without you I need help if that's you come up now don't be be ashamed don't be afraid the devil would have you not take a helping hand from God But we need His hand. We can't do... See, every person in here has a destiny. But you can't hit that destiny without God's helping hand. You need His help. You need His hand. How do you do it? You reach out in faith. He's not a respecter of persons, but He is a respecter of faith. And if you will come to the altar in a step of faith, you'll find that He's sitting there ready to take you by the hand just give another minute or so if you need to be up come on up father I just bind up the spirit of fear and embarrassment that would try to hold people back Lord let everybody that needs your hand come and take it this morning in Jesus name thank you father thank you lord Thank you, Lord. Lord, I see a whole congregation of people going up, going higher, going higher. Thank you, Father. If while I'm praying, you decide I need to get up there, move. Just move in faith of a loving Father. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Everybody right now, everybody in here and everybody watching, pray this out loud with me. Just say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. I need you. I believe that you died for my sins. And I believe that God brought you back to life for me. And I receive receive the fullness of my salvation salvation. health, Health, provision, provision, protection, protection, deliverance, deliverance, restoration, restoration. and fellowship with my Father. I walk in a full fellowship fellowship with with Him him today. today. In In Jesus' name. Jesus. I ask you, you, baptize me me in the Holy Spirit Spirit. and fire, fire so that I can live the way you want me to live. Thank you, Father.